I have to say, I'm really excited to witness this artistic creation in action because I've listened to every episode. You're a big fan. I don't know. Big fan. Every episode from the very get-go. I think the moment <laughs> I knew this was happening, I've been in on the ground floor, but I always assumed being in the sort of post-production or video side of things uh, or being related to media production, um, you guys don't actually play your theme song before you dive into this, do you? Is we this have, all the magic of post? We have. In the early days, I think, to psych ourselves <laughs> to do it. Now it's see, just constantly oh, running in a loop in our heads. See, I was so hoping you actually would no, we hit just, play on some device oh, and we would hear oh, the sweet sounds of Jeff Cronenberg and then it, I would have been ready. I'm going to blame my performance <laughs> on the lack of Jeff Cronenberg's music not starting this off officially. Can you give a sound drop? We didn't bring the laptop. Yeah, you know how we get psyched up now? It's this. Do 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 doot do do. That's the theme our, song. That's our theme song when we're just by ourselves. <laughs> that's our private theme. Song. Oh, now I'm hearing it. I, at, the, at the beginning of that, I didn't quite get those melodies, but I'm hearing it now. I can hear those guitar points. Nice. We have a new we have a new sting coming up. Oh, nice. It's for Peter's. Uh, it's to help you, Peter yeah. eat properly. You know how I said do I need guidance because I'm a big sandwich guy, big uh-huh. carb guy, and I said I need Brian to be my salad angel. Mm-hmm. So now we have a little sting for salad angel. Brian, do you want to hear that? Let's hear that. Oh, it's lovely. <laughs> he sent like four versions, so I'm not too sure which one we went with. Oh, that's the one I like. Okay. That was good. Nice. Brian, we're joined today by a very tall runner by the name of Greg Shea. Greg, longtime fan of the show. I want to say... From the beginning. In the stable of just one of the people who, if we had pitched the idea in advance, mm-hmm. you would have been right behind us saying, yeah, do that. Even though that's not at all what happened. But... From the very beginning, you said, hey, I'll listen to that. And you do. Thank you. Absolutely. You know? Oh, oh, Brian, go ahead. Oh, yeah, Brian. Oh, can I talk? (laughs) Yes. No. No, Thank thank you. No, you can't. I was going to say that I remember prior to us beginning the show, we were talking to you, I think, in our communal gym yes or local gym or whatever i was thinking the exact it. same thing yep. our neighborhood gym and, oh we were training peter and i were training for the marathon and you looked at us and said well i did one of those once <laughs> and you guys are nuts and i think i sustained uh permanent internal injuries from trying that race and i'm never going to do it again lo and behold yeah you really yes. sold it. we have a whole lot of backstory because you just completed a marathon a few days ago yes and uh why don't you bring us through that transformation what turned you from a one-time boston marathon completionist and avowed non-marathon runner to someone who's now doing relays and everything else how did that happen yeah it's it's funny i'm glad you sort of remember that because that that moment in the gym really sticks out my mind too because i felt so awful afterwards i mean you guys were filled with nothing but enthusiasm about right, right. the coming training for the race and i feel i thought i was being helpful but i think in a lot of ways <laughs> i just rained a super dark cloud of like fear essentially of how much that race messed with me and i thought oh that, maybe that'll help them in their training and after i walked away i was just like 
what is wrong with me? Like, why couldn't I have just said, like, you're going to love it? It's, it's, Nothing's it's, wrong with honesty, Greg. Well, it was weird because it was my first time ever in a gym, and you sort of <laughs> took the wind out of my sails a little bit. But then I got right back into it. So I, I still remember, I think my advice was that I said train hills. Like, for the love yeah. of God, go out and run hills. Because, uh, and, and, and what's funny, though, and it, so it's so funny. So when I think about that conversation, like, I'm so much more experienced. I still have a lot to learn. I'm still relatively new, I think, in terms of running. I mean, I'm 40 years old, but the last two years I've been running very, very steadily and done, you know, three marathons, a 50K. And, but back in that conversation, mm-hmm. what was it, two and a half years ago or so? Yeah. I'd only run like the holiday 5K, you know what I mean? Like I'd done that one marathon in my mid-20s and it nearly killed me. I was right. bedridden for like three days. And, my, <laughs> oh my, my. and you mentioned internal organs. <laughs> yes. I think I damaged my kidneys. Like something <laughs> was did. wrong. Like I, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't pee for like 24 hours. Oh I mean, something gosh. horribly went wrong yeah. in my insides. And, and that race left me with <laughs> such a... Just like an amazing appreciation, but I never wanted to go back there again. I just, sure. I, like the pain was so vivid of mm-hmm. struggling through the, that race. And you had been how old when you did that race? I was about twenty-four, I think. So you, so you would think, yeah. young, totally. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I was hoping even a little too young to try a marathon. <laughs> well, that's an interesting well, thought, though, right? Maybe, it was maybe there is a thing there where you shouldn't approach it, but much before. I mean, I had no business running. I mean, to be honest, right. we're joking about to be serious or more serious take on the marathon. How far I've come with my thinking is, um, I know you guys have the utmost respect for that race, as as we all should. I didn't earn it. I didn't have respect for it. Like it was a different time. It was like honestly, like I. So I, in full disclosure, I abandoned that race, mm-hmm. and now it's like like you hear that word and you just think, oh my God, like total running scumbag kind of right. move. And, and in the modern world we live in now, I think there's people more educated about that. And, and I'm making excuses in some ways, but no, that no, was kind of, of a time frame it. where like, it would yeah. be like my uncle Sully kind of thing, just like on a bar bet style thing, would go out and line up the back of the race. I'm going to go run the race. <laughs> exactly. That was sort of the culture I kind of grew up in as a local, you know, I grew up in Quincy, which is, mm-hmm. you know, 10 miles from the starting line kind of thing. And, and that was sort of the culture of like, you knew the crazy guy from around the corner that just lined up and ran the race in his sweatpants and his like, tube socks and <laughs> yeah, the cotton it. t-shirt yeah, I got and this. i was one of those dumb idiots who just sort of like thought in my early 20s like hey wouldn't that be like a lark to go off and run that race mm-hmm. so i thought i had trained properly and you know but looking at it now in all the stuff that i've learned and mm-hmm. just being more educated and being into running in a real way and listening to this program in listening to, <laughs> to 80 episodes of this and listening to this fine program <laughs> which by the way i love when you start telling all of this peter people like mike wardian or, or no there's jared ward <laughs> that was <laughs> My favorite HR, oh, yeah. HWIRT moment might be when you were giving advice to an Olympian like, on the what's marathon. What's his strategy for passing me? On the no, race? no, no. And then he said, oh, yeah. well, I've never actually run it. You've okay, run me, the race. Can yeah. you tell me what it's yeah, don't, I said, I think I You had a up, moment. Don't go out too fast. I think I said. <laughs> you had a moment there. You delved into real advice. Yeah, that was, <laughs> was Hey, you did you do another course and you're a local, so you have every right to, but it was right. just an awesome moment. Well, and that, to I was that like, point, though, as a local, had you run any part of the course back when you were 24 or was that day? The so I never ran any of the first like 16 miles. I had my mom drop me off at the firehouse turn basically and run okay. to the end and I crushed it. I mean, of course, it's like, hey, look at this. Yeah. I'm 24. I ran 10 this miles at the end of the race. This right. is easy. People talk about these hills yeah. being what's so hard. What's the, what's the big deal? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. You're warmed I mean, up by the time you hit the hills. This is great. So of course, day of the race, you know, not to get into my long, horrible experience, but that, that initial Boston Marathon, when I arrived at the bridge that goes over Route 128 there, yeah. it all broke down in a horrible, horrible way. I mean, it was because it's that big elevation change where you've been going downhill for 16 miles, yep. going way faster than I should. 
and I just hit that uphill and my quads mm. just completely seized up on me. And then it just began this long, painful death march that many people have had. But to go 10 miles in that death march is absolutely brutal. Um, Awful. And it literally scared me off from running distance for like, I was like, I'm done with that. Like right. that was, that was sort of that lark. And, and then fast forward to the locker room, literally you guys telling me you're running the Boston marathon. I'm like, wow, you're crazy. That race nearly killed me. But we planted a seed. You planted a seed. Right. You guys planted a seed. Cause I mean, even then you started talking about, Hey, we should get a team. We should do this in the future. And the other thing to really complete the transformation, I would say, along with you guys and your fine podcast and uh, seeing you guys being so excited about running, um, I have a neighbor who's run like 11 marathons. He's big into altars. He was mm -hmm. our captain of Reach the Beach. We did this past uh, September. And um, he also turned me on to Strava. And I think I'd mentioned that to you guys back then. I think you're both on there now. But yep. Strava really like tapped into... I, I think I've really lowered my feelings about this over the years with running but in the beginning it was what i needed in terms of that motivation thing like those segments and getting prs and the competitive part of it sure yeah. because when you're younger you play competitive sports team sports and as an adult you don't really get that bit of competition i think in your lives as much that i think in a weird way like it's it sounds i think a lot of people hear this stuff and they're like oh that's such a horrible use of right. of, of running it's not about that community part of it and that's really i've left a lot of that but in the beginning that really helped serve as motivation of like trying to you know, place or whatever. It's so stupid right. on no, like a no, segment. No. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's competing against yourself. Like yes, I was trying of to PR. Yes. Um, and I love that part about it too, but it's also, I had the same thing, which is when you first get into running or you start racing and you think, well, there's people like me and then there's people who run sub five minute miles and that's, that's all there is. So mm -hmm. I can't compete against them. So, you know, I guess I'm just going to, you know, try to, chug it out here and, and do my thing, you know, sure. um, but being able to find through an app like Strava or yep. other, you know, apps like it, uh, is fantastic. And yeah, it's a great motivator. And well, you were saying even that you have a lot of neighbors who are on. Yeah. Strava. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's funny so, with my neighbors is that they kind of lightheartedly with Strava were kind of prodding me into it, that, yeah. that we have this one really big hill and my town's very hilly in general, which is kind of great actually for training. Uh, but they were like, hey, we're like number nine and 10 all time on this hill or something. <laughs> it was like something as stupid as that, a little right. bit of like a, you know, slight, like, mm -hmm. you know, motivation thing. I got out there and it was like first time up that hill. I think I was like 20th or something, you know, like a few days later. It sounds so stupid. Yeah, it's no, like, it's but it's fun. But then the funny thing that I learned later, of course, is like hill running and you run hills hard is essentially like people say speed training in disguise yeah. kind of thing. And like, anyway, it, it, that's where it sort of started. It does, you know, I'm not at that point now. Um, but, uh, you know, so yeah, that was kind of the motivation to really kick in and the Strava thing. You start building a little bit of community on Strava. I love the whole, I still love the whole, like give people kudos, you yeah. know, someone runs a race, you might leave them some comments. It's basically like a social app for, um, runners, you know, so, which is much more appealing to me than a lot of the other social media stuff. Yeah, so you definitely introduced it to us and then we said, okay, well we should probably start a Strava group. Yeah, that's right. And now, thanks to you, literally tens of people. <laughs> I think hey, I think this group. is like seventy-five. No, it's a lot. It's actually going I'm, very. And much. I am part of that group as and well. You yes, are part of that group. And the uh, we HWRT. All yeah. the listeners to come join the HWRT Strava. Group. Yeah, and you know that's actually been great. I have to say, there's a good amount of people that started following me through mm -hmm. the HWRT. My wife's on there too. People following her and. Um, same thing, like you end up following people back that are consistently giving you kudos right, on right. there and you start just getting a little glimpse into sort of like what people are doing across the country and you know, it's, it's a nice thing. So you're right. That's the only thing club I'm sort of part of on Strava and it's, uh, it's fun. So after that fateful day, where yes. we got your wisdom <laughs> about how awful it was going to be. 
what was the first long race that you wanted to get back into? What changed for you? Yeah, so very soon after the year I think you guys ran Boston, um, a couple of years ago. Two years. Yes, I, uh, a neighbor said he was going to sign up for a half marathon in Newburyport. So I decided... Combined with the that was like a month after I'd maybe joined Strava, so just the running was kind of kicking in. And I think actually, I think I decided to sign up for Reach the Beach with my neighbor and his friends, which we didn't actually end up doing because of injury that first year. But that was kind of like I need to start training. Right. Um, So I ran that half marathon and kind of similarly, my first Boston Marathon experience completely fell apart like eight miles in, um, and really did the death march over like the last five miles of that half marathon. And kind of once again question the wisdom of this crazy sport. And uh, but for whatever reason, I think I knew I'd reached the beach. It was kind of like I have to keep running. And then you know, finally, you know, fitness starts kicking in after you've been doing it for like. So that was only a month and a half in or something. Still pretty early in my running, I would say. Yeah. Once you've been doing it for two or three months, you know, fitness gains start improving. You start getting faster and stronger. And then I think I ran a half marathon in the fall that I saw you guys were at too. I ran the um, one in Hampton Beach there, the um, Smutty Nose yes. one, I think it is. Yep. That was around the time you got injured, I think. Yeah. yeah. But so I remember hanging up with you guys there and you know, I that was yard in that one. Yes, that, you did. Yeah, that was a good race for that me. That was my best good that was yeah. the best race ever. That was at the time mine as well. That was maybe my first actually half marathon experience or any sort of distance race that actually felt really good at the okay. end. And then once you start having a good vibe like that, you start signing up for more stuff, you know. And and then when was the first eyeing of a full? I was potentially gonna run the Boston Marathon, actually, that following like he, uh, whatever the, the spring after that yeah. um, through a relative was doing a charity thing to get bib numbers that's right and what's, what's funny enough with the Boston Marathon again is it ended up sort of following through like he got really busy with work and had a kid and the timing messed up and anyway it was supposed to be this thing where I was going to get this godsend of just like a charity bib with not actually raising the money which is ridiculous you do you remember this like we were talking about this just last year right okay. and actually say in hindsight what's funny I'm so glad it didn't work out because I honestly believe right now like you have to earn it like to line up at that race you have to either earn it by qualifying or you have to earn it by raising the money and twice i didn't do it and i sort of like and so and you know like one time i ran it and it kicked my ass as the race should have mm-hmm. second time i was supposedly just going to get this gift of a bib which i you know i understood at that point like wow this is an amazing generous gift and it didn't work out and i'm actually really glad because you know when that didn't happen I signed up for Sugarloaf and the thought was I might actually potentially be able to qualify by the pace I was going. Haven't done it yet, mm-hmm. but did, had a pretty good experience with Sugarloaf. I had some issues, but so that was uh, about a year ago. I ran that marathon in the fall and um, that's led me towards this path of trying to eventually hope to qualify at some point. Now you just ran a marathon a week and a half ago. Yeah. Which one was that? So Maine Coast Marathon in Kennebunkport. And we were uh, scheduled. The weatherman said we were going to have a nor'easter that day. How did it turn out? It. They were correct. There was one of those. <laughs> it was one of those things too, where when you're you're looking on your phone, once it gets to be like what nine days out or something, yeah. your iPhone will like show you the extended forecast, and it was showing like 50 degrees and rain like nine days out. And it was one of those things where you think, well, they always change and bounce back and forth as you get closer. And just every day, it stayed like the temperature thing dropped, but the rain just stayed. Mm-hmm. And as it got closer and closer, it was just totally apparent that we were going to get a pretty nasty storm, and it was arriving right at like 6:30 a.m. and it and, was going to be at its and worst not just through the rain, race. But- but wind and yep. everything else. The whole deal, yeah, driving winds and rain. And it was, I remember watching the weather forecast the night before and they're like, the winds are going to be the worst on the coastline. And it oh. was just, it was all setting up for, so it was a bummer. I was probably the best trained I'd been going into a race. Um, was there any talk of canceling it? They said only if there were severe winds. They didn't, ex- mm-hmm. they didn't go into a numerical numbers to what that would be. Now, this um, is only a few weeks after 
a brutally hot and sunny Boston Marathon. So yeah. yeah, and that factors in actually in that when you read a lot of comments about what sort of happened at this race afterwards and um, runners that had issues, um, people more than one runner said I ran Boston. It was super hot, and people that were in that cusp of qualifying for Boston right. or you know um, they ran Maine Coast as mm-hmm. like their next marathon yep. to get that qualifier time, yep. um, which leads into some of the issues that happened at Maine Coast. Um, do we want to get into those? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of course. Well, yeah, well, let's. Yeah. How did the weather actually turn out? So yeah, it was it was not quite as windy as I thought it would be at the start of the race, which was great. That was my biggest concern. Like rain, I've run a rain before. Rain's a nuisance, but it's not gonna, in my mind, be that big of an effect on your race. Uh, it can actually can help cool you down as you're running. Um, so it was the wind was my big concern, and uh, it was just raw and nasty. It was like probably high forties. Uh, my wife dropped me off right at the starting line. Like God bless her, she got up early and she saw people getting off of the shuttle buses to walk to the starting line, and she's like oh my god these poor faces of these runners they look like gaunt and like they had the look of you just finished you know so she was <laughs> basically like this is going to be an awful day and um the rain was coming down really hard but uh not a lot of wind at the start but as you you started inland and run about mm-hmm. six miles maybe to get to the coast but the closer you got to the coast is where the winds picked up yeah. and so it, it, you know there were sections of the race it was a point to point it was looping a couple different areas and things along the coastline was where the wind was you know i'm, I'm guessing 25 mile per hour wind gusts okay. or something and it was directly in our faces because it was the nor'easter and you're running northward so mm-hmm. it was coming south the wind perfect yes like exactly how you'd like well, it. it cooled you down yeah. it, it did it sure did how long into the race until complete saturation where you just couldn't take any more water in your clothing or on your body um it's I mean, for me like i i was i felt completely soaked like two or three miles in i mean it was like mm-hmm. but I, I wore windbreaker i felt like i'd actually appropriately dressed well for it like i ran in shorts but um I had like a little bit of a light wind shell and I had hat on like a baseball hat just mm-hmm. pulled low over my eyes. So what's funny is this was a scenic, beautiful race. And my wife and I drove it the day before and I'm sure it's gorgeous on a nice day. But you I saw barely it. saw anything. Yeah, you saw the pavement. <laughs> I saw the pavement six feet ahead of me because I had my hat low enough just to keep the wind and the rain out of my eyes. You know, right. so like I, I, it's funny. I, I think the bush compound is along the course. I have no idea where or when. <laughs> I, I never saw it. <laughs> no idea. You probably saved a lot of energy for your body in the sense of not holding your head up too high, not looking or not yep. fighting that wind. It just not enjoying yourself. Yep. Not at enjoying all. yourself in any way. <laughs> yep. You got rid of all the emotions, mm-hmm. not burning any calories on love and enjoy. <laughs> yep. And you just focused on the day. Yeah, exactly. In in you know the previous marathon before that I'd run New York City in the fall and that was when I struggled a lot, but that was nothing but crowd interaction of just right. high fiving a million kids and yep. you know, I ran with my uh UMass, my alma mater and had that um shirt on, so tons of people were just calling on UMass. It just it just felt like a nonstop like spectator uh, mm-hmm. runner interaction thing for the entire course. This was the total opposite. I mean, this was like uh, I mean, God bless the volunteers that did come out and uh, sorry, the volunteers and spectators that were part of this race. I mean, God bless them. There weren't a lot because of the weather, but the ones that were there, they were totally amazing. I mean, that was a nasty day to come out and cheer runners on. So for the folks that were out there and the few that I saw above the brim of my hat, they were uh, they were amazing. <laughs> now, there was an added complication to this race. Yeah. It's now become somewhat infamous. Yeah. There was an error on the course. Is that right? Yeah. So at about mile 11 and a half to 12, it, uh, and, and I guess I would say this is this is what I sort of know now and, and became apparent in hindsight. But I, it, when I ran the race, when I finished coming down the finisher shoot, they had a nice little finisher shoot at the um, high school where the race finished or the college. I think it was New England college. Um, sorry. I don't remember the name of the school. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll add it in and post <laughs> my bad. So no, we won't. 
Coming down at the uh, finishing shoot. Um, at either the high school or the college. <laughs> <laughs> my wife, um, she uh, says to me as I'm running by her at the very end, she goes, you got lost. you like, you ran the wrong way. What happened? And you know, I just kind of went by and was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Now's not the time. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm gathering myself at the end of the race and she's like, yeah, what happened? Because there, there was a tracking app and it had like a solid blue line for the whole race course, this whole point to point thing. And it was giving splits. And, and because I had my phone on me, it was live tracking. It wasn't okay. just like one of those timing mats every oh, like 5K oh, okay. because okay. I actually ran with my phone on me. And uh, so she saw right around my 11 and a half or 12 or so, there was a volunteer apparently that was... Um, it was definitely a miscommunication, of course, but was sending runners down a dead end and back. And uh, I didn't. I just followed everybody ahead of me, and everyone above, ahead of me, and behind me, seemingly did the exact same thing. Because you went down a dead end, it was a little bit of a slope downwards, uh, and it was a bit of a psychological bummer, I would say, just because it's sort of mm-hmm. weird in a point-to-point race doing like this little backtrack right. out and back thing. Like just psychologically, it's a weird, little weird where like you're going somewhere where you're seeing everybody coming back at you. Yeah. It's the kind of thing you'd expect in maybe like a small 5K or something, or I don't know. Uh, well, and how, how far was it? So it was about a half mile uh, okay. for the total distance down and back. So um, a quarter mile out and back. Yeah. So you really knew sort of within a minute or so yeah. something was weird. Or See, I didn't really, because I just followed, spur. I just followed, it just felt a little weird in that like yeah. for most of a race, you just sort of focus on the people around you and just charging forward. So it was just, it was, it was more just kind of like a not ideal part of the race, but it didn't feel like an error necessarily to me. People that are a little more savvy, have more experience with races and knowing it's a Boston qualifier, understood I think when they got to the end of this turnaround that there was no official or timing mat. So you easily could have just like cut this section. So I think some people understood okay. This oh, wasn't meant okay. to happen because yeah. how would you really know you no ran? There was, no, there was no validity that, validity that you actually ran to the end of that. Oh, I see. I didn't pick up on that. I just right. went down to the end and then, you know, chugged back up that section. And the, the other impact it had just for me during the race that I didn't put together um, was that from that point on, I was running with my phone, but that wasn't like a Ziploc baggie in right. my, like I ran with a hydration pack actually that was tucked into my pocket. But I did have a, a GPS, like a Garmin style watch on just to sort of like occasionally glance at. I wasn't really focused on time at all in this race. Just mm-hmm. The weather forecast, it was so much more about effort. But still, you hear it, my wrist would buzz every time I hit a mile marker. So right. for the rest of the race, it was a little weird that my wrist kept buzzing half before mile. You even before, saw the yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. up to them, it was within like, you know, a tenth of a mile that you would get that little buzz on your watch, just letting yeah, you know. And you might glance down you and see what your last mile was. Yeah. So from then on, it was off by half mile. And that was a little bit just sort of, again, like a nuisance because you're kind of like, you start kind of struggling with, am I on mile 17 or 18? Because like you just sort of get that. And I just assumed my watch was off because of the weather. Okay. Or something weird had happened like with GPS that these things just happened. So I I never really thought the course was long. But but did you feel internally you were happy with your pace? Like everything felt good? um, I felt like I was doing great considering the conditions. And my whole focus and goal on that race was just to finish strong. It was like, I didn't really care. It would have been nice to PR, but it was like, you know, I knew I wasn't going for a Boston qualifier. And that's something that because of the extra half mile became all the controversy, I think, is I that think so. for those that had a chance to be Q and there were maybe, I don't know, I think I saw reports like 30 people or so might have been burned by this. I and so. that's a real, you know, I really feel for those people. I mean, that's that's a huge bummer. And um, that's a real impact. A half mile is a big difference because the, the other part about it, along with just the extra half mile, is that psychological component of like, again, like your watch is off for the rest of the race. Yeah. And coming down the end, like, so even for me, I knew I had a chance to maybe PR at this race. And like, who really cares? Like, that's just me on my own. Again, it's like, whatever. It's like, not a big deal. But 
I, I was doing the math with about a 5K left and I was like, ah, it's not going to happen. Like I'll probably be short by like a few minutes or so. Yeah. Whereas you might run harder. Like if you were going for a BQ, that's a real thing where if you're doing the math and you're like, you I'm within a minute it. or yeah, two of getting a number, maybe if you might yeah, right. make the time, but that to actually get a number. Last whole mile, last two miles, you might. Yeah, that's where you got to really kick it in and dig deep. Yeah. And I feel like that's the point where it, it, the extra, it's a half mile plus the mental part of mm -hmm. like, Absolutely. you know, so... Uh, and obviously, with each additional mile added on to that distance, that's kind of exponentially difficult because the race only gets harder as you're struggling towards the end, you know? So, um, so yeah, I didn't know anything about it at the moment. My wife was the first one to tip me off. She found it, I think, a lot more sort of aggravating than I did because she's thinking like, you know, I've had, this is my fourth marathon. Each time has been a unique challenge or difficulty. They're all hard. They all have their own things that are tough about it. And, and my, my main hope was just to sort of finish strong and have a good race. And she thinks I'm lost. Like she actually, I think I see, you may have seen on Facebook, uh, Peter, but I posted this like screenshot of that tracking app. She took a screenshot and it's like, you see the course line. And then there's a little dot that just says, no. Greg. And I'm like a half mile off that line. And it's right near the coast. She must've screenshotted oh, right at the probably, edge of that half thing. And she probably had no idea that everyone else was doing no, it. No, she couldn't see anybody. Where is he going? Of course. Yeah. So she literally thought I took a wrong turn in the middle of the race. Which was and, um, I had, yeah. yeah. And the splits were just weird. Like it showed me running like a 12 minute mile for that particular sure. mile or whatever. So, um, so she was just kind of aggravated by that and um, confused. And then it was only apparent soon after the race was over. We were just uh, using Strava. You know, it pre-populates people that ran the mm -hmm. same race as you yes. around the same time looking on there and reading comments from people who had posted things, it became clear that like, I, I think some people talked to race officials right after the race and said that race was long, you know? And, and I mean, the Strava data showed everybody I looked at had a 26.8 or 26.9 mm -hmm. mile run, yeah. you know? So um, it was very clear something had gone wrong. And, you know, I feel bad. Like there were yeah. a lot of angry comments on social media and, you know, other media outlets have reported it. And um, my heart goes out to all those potential BQ qualifiers who didn't get it. Um, but at the same time, I, I do think, you know, there's so many things a race director probably deals with that the average runner has no idea. Absolutely. So I also am sympathetic to the fact that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a brutal mistake, but I, you know, I wouldn't like say, don't go run this race. You know, I mm -hmm. think these small mom and pop kind of style races are fantastic. Yeah. And the volunteers were awesome that were there, That's there, cool. you know, and the spectators were great. So, and how, how would, how did you feel about your finish? How'd you do? So I finished in, um, I think my official time was 3.33. My Strava data showed me that I finished the marathon, I think, 3.27 because I was... Strava's always a little nice. Yeah, Strava's <laughs> kind. Plus, you know, I did run my slowest miles those last two miles. So I think I probably PR'd, to be honest. Like, I'd run Sugarloaf in 3.29. So I think I was probably somewhere between 3.27 and 3.28. You know, and given the conditions, I was really happy with that. You know, I, 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 like I said, I didn't really have a major time goal. It was just my whole thing was to finish strong. And it was the first marathon I actually didn't walk at all during mm -hmm. the entire race. And um, one of the things I attribute to that was uh, I run with a hydration pack now that, uh, you know, getting into the trail running and things like that. And um, I actually really would recommend it for a marathon for some folks because mm -hmm. I love the pockets for like, again, it's convenient having your phone just to meet up with somebody after the race sure, or if sure. you want to track stuff that way. Um, so it's easy to slide your phone in a pocket and then to carry your fuel for the race is super easy. Like rather than just it's sort of bulging in your pockets and stuff mm -hmm. like that, you can just kind of tuck it into pockets easily. And then, you know, I have a two liter bladder on my back for the water. And I think with me, when you run a race and you start stopping and drinking water at the water tables, yeah. you mentally like know that crutch is coming. Mm -hmm. So I think like 
if I if I have water on me in a hydration pack, you just run right by the water tables. Right. And so like, did you do no stops uh, or first side pullovers? Nothing. So this is the first marathon I ran the entire way from start to finish. And that's cool. And I think this you know so this is the first time I run with a hydration pack, and I'd done it on a half marathon recently, and found that to be really um, beneficial because I can't drink a cup of water without spilling it all over myself when you're running. I mean, right. like, so you end up slowing down to well, actually always, take in the water. I, I walk through every yeah. step when I stop for for water. Yeah, as if purposely just walk through. I yep. speed up and knock other people's cups out. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that at all. So, so you've jammed in two marathons, three marathons in the last, what, year and a half? So yeah, I've done three in the last like, year and a half and then wow. a 50K. And that's exactly yeah. how long we've been doing the show, Brian. That's yeah. right. I'm not saying there's a correlation. <laughs> I am. That's right. So, mm-hmm. Wow, that's a pretty intense thing. Hey, I want you to guess. Uh, everyone close their eyes. Uh, I want you to guess what this sound is. You know what that sweet sound is, Brian? No, what, what is that? That was the sound of my Clyde Army travel mug full of delicious coffee being opened. And I'm not going to sip from it. Oh, it's uh, stainless steel on the inside there, Brian. And uh, people can get this at the Redbubble HWRT store. Are you doing it ahead? No. Not <laughs> I mean, brought to you by HWRT travel mugs. Get your travel mug today. Clyde Army. Clyde Army. Clyde Army. So, Greg, uh, I'd like to take uh, credit for your success. As you should. I think it's this show that's done this for you. Mm -hmm. It's turned you around from a guy in a gym who was like, don't do the marathon. It's awful. I lost my heart. I think I used that voice, too. Yeah, You did. You did. That was the weirdest part. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, you've become just uh, a guy who PR'd this what, couple, two weeks ago. I guess so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's on the horizon now? Uh, so in the near future, in June, I'm really excited about uh, one of my crazy neighbor friends there and a couple other guys were going to run the presidential traverse in uh, the White Mountains of New Hampshire there, where you, I think it's seven peaks in one day. Um, so you camp out, get up really early and um, That's when you carry the run all day. The president <laughs> on you. While you run? A former president. A former president. So who do you have? Gerald Ford? Yeah. I have Gerald Ford. Yep. He's heavy, actually. I took the heavy. Do you, um, is this an official race or just something? No, this this is one of those things. Uh, this is just for something fun to do okay. and a kind of challenging hike. And it's, it, we won't be running the whole thing. It's obviously a lot of hiking. Um, it's a lot of elevation gain, I think. Um how many different mountains? I think it's seven, I think. I guess there's like a slightly different version where you can sort of do a long one and a short one. I think we're going to do the long one where it's like three or four miles further to get to whatever the last peak is in a series of mountains. But it's one of these things that's like a common hiker hike kind of thing to do, oh, um, sure. as well as it is pretty popular in the sort of fastest known time world, you know, that I think a lot of these ultra runners or trail runner type get into we will not be competing for fastest known time i think the guy who has it he's like a local guy i think but i think it's like four and a half hours or something that's just absolutely mind-blowing every weekend (laughs) it's just insane so um we're hoping to do it like you know in in a challenging it's gonna be a hard day um but i'm looking forward to that i've actually never really hiked those mountains Mm -hmm. so to the idea of sort of trying to like power hike it or run through parts of it is really exciting and then um don't practice at all (laughs) and then um Soon after that will be the BAA 10K, of yes. which... Oh, are you on a team? I am on a team, the right. HWYRT. And I'm so happy to let everyone know. I know, I know the captain of that team. I know the captain, too, when he's sitting to my right. Mm-hmm. You look good, Brian. Thank you. 
Uh, I'm so happy to announce that we've reached capacity of our team. Well, not capacity, but we've hit the threshold by which I believe the BAA, if they're listening, will provide a tent for us. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Yeah. Do you think it'll have our logo on it, the tent? It will if I bring it. <laughs> there we go. We can tag it. So I'm really excited about that. And you guys have talked about that race. You did it last year, right? Where I think Shalane yes. Flanagan ran like an American record or something sure like did. that. Sure did. The 10K um, so yeah, I'm excited just to, it's a, such a cool part of Boston and it's hopefully it'll be a gorgeous day. And it's going to be brutally hot. It I just, guarantee <laughs> <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm running it. So I know it's going to be hot. I just, nice. yeah. Bring the heat. Good. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited to join that team. And then, um, after that, I'll, I'll probably sign up for fall marathon. Um, I know there's one in early December that you can uh, try. It's free. Yeah, yeah. you guys. No registration you, uh, fee. Greg, would you consider uh, going up to uh, Millinocket, yeah. Maine? Where's the finish line? Which way to the finish line? You can't get there from here. My feelings on Millinocket, it does sound like an amazing it's community intriguing. experience. It's totally intriguing for you. I can it's I totally can intriguing. I mean, the whole spirit of the whole thing sounds incredible, but the way you guys sell the physical part of the race, it, it kind of reminds me of my dark cloud of um, that locker room experience telling you guys about my Boston Marathon. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like, do I really want to take on a race where you're afraid an appendage may fall off? I Wait mean, a minute. You just ran a marathon through a hurricane and you <laughs> turned it into an ultra and you just for fun and you PR'd. <clears throat> so you Millinocket will be nothing. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, you're going to go run seven peaks of the White Mountains with seven guys or something. I don't know what you're doing, but that sounds hard. Yeah. This will be easy. Yeah, you know, I, I am intrigued. I, I'm not going to roll it out, yeah. I would say, at some point. Even just the half. This guy right here, this guy, this client yeah. right here is doing the half. I love that you guys Even are ambassadors. Even the Crankle 2K. Even the Crankle 2K. <laughs> night before. That's Crankle all you 2K. have to do. That's a fantastic tradition. You guys are the best with that. So, um, And Brian, I I, uh, I don't know where you're at currently. Have you gotten a second opinion? But I'm hoping that you're, uh, are, you, uh, st- are you hoping to be able to run uh, Millinocket in December? Is that kind of on the horizon for you still? Still on or? the plan. Still on the plan. Uh, this is week two of no running. So uh, that's psychologically crippling, but it's okay. I'm still remaining active, uh, and I'm looking forward to hopefully starting to run next week again. Uh, and we're just going to see how it goes. Yeah. Are you, um, are you thinking you might be able to do the 10K possibly in June? Or are you, are you, yeah, are you I haven't ruled anything yeah, yeah, sure. I have a lot of races in June. Um, I yep. packed it that way. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Uh, I've, and I've heard from some preliminary scouting reports that the – uh, North Face uh, Endurance Challenge Series race at Mount Wachusett, which yep. is Boston, mm-hmm. uh, the Boston ECS, is going to be more of a power hike than a run for well, most of us anyway. That's good. Gotcha. It's very, very technical. Gotcha, yep. Uh, at least that's what people are saying with a lot of rock scrambles and a lot of sure. vertical climbing. So that's actually good uh, for me because that's fine. I can I can power hike through that stuff as opposed to try to running through it. Um, so it, it'll, it'll maybe it'll be a, a leveler. Sure. Not that I was looking at placing <laughs> at all, but finishing uh, before the sun goes down would be good. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Great. Greg, before we let you go, because I know you have a very busy day ahead of you, Yeah. could you tell the listening audience you were just nominated for an award for a piece of media that you directed? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so that was part of a series that you two fine gentlemen were part of. In what? Pivotal, I would say, in that, yes, I, I, I put together the, uh, along with a few colleagues, the 26.2 video project for the Boston Marathon, um, but, you know, for the last year, year and a half ago or so. Um, and, uh, yeah, you guys were just such an 
excellent, excellent part of that whole project. It was comic relief, I think, is what they call it. I think so. Comic relief, and you guys brought just sort of the you know average runner perspective to all these things. It was it's just anyway such such a fun series. But of those twenty six videos, one that was definitely made my favorite, the Bobby Gibb uh, piece we did. Um, that was really sort of a seven-minute profile on her and her experience being, the, um, you know, the first unofficial um, female finisher of the race. Um, yeah, we got nominated for a New England Emmy because it aired as like an interstitial piece yes. on WGBH, and um, yeah, so myself and a couple of colleagues got nominated for that, and very excited. Congratulations! Well, that was a great series. You guys pulled that together in no time. Yeah. You did it. In, it seemed like a week. Yeah, it was probably and about three weeks. Twenty-six videos. Yeah. Twenty-six point two videos, yep. and you pulled together lots of. Boston area um, running celebrities, and and then you did some in-depth uh, single-person interviews. It was really great. We'll link to that in the oh, show thanks. notes. Oh, thanks. Cool. That. Absolutely. And I got to say thank you to because that video that we were in, or that we were in several. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, one of the ways we've reached a lot of people across the country, whereas uh, not just in the New England area, because of the uh, web presence. And uh, so, so thank you. Well, I'm glad I had that impact. That was definitely one of the most fun projects I've been part of. And then what else, where else can people find your work? And also, uh, I am the executive producer of Front Row Boston, which is a local music series here at WGBH. Oh! And uh, yeah, we'll be out at Boston Calling this coming weekend, doing a bunch of great stuff. And uh, yeah, so people that are fans of the local live music scene, um, come check us out. Do you need a bouncer? Yeah, I, we would love a bouncer, actually. Because he can't run, so he'd be good to do that, because <laughs> I'm going to be out running. <laughs> Sounds I don't good. nearly weigh enough to be a bouncer. Right. I should probably do that. Yeah, people right. just walk right past me. <laughs> You're right. Greg, thank you so much. Listen, keep us posted and um, let us know when you've signed up for Millinocket and we'll make an announcement on the air. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you, Greg. You. Brian, how great is that Greg Shea? He's so tall and fast. You know, you don't think necessarily of tall runners being fast but he is tall and fast. He can move quite a bit at a rapid pace. It's quite interesting. Because especially for men, I think of fast marathoners as being, I don't know, around 5'9", probably, 130 pounds, something like that, maybe a little bigger. Yeah. Um, And so as you get well over six feet, of course there are biomechanical differences, but what that is, uh, I don't know. So, you know, people like Chris Heisler and other guys who are – uh, well over six feet and can run fast. Yeah, I don't know. They're intimidating. I didn't even think to ask if he was an official member of the Clyde Army, but I think he might be. I think he's on the edge. I think he might be just under. He's been marathon training, so he looks looks good. He does look good, and uh, it was great interviewing him finally. You know, and I was thinking about our friendship with him and how he really was a Howartian before we even knew what Hawartians were. Well, he loved the concept. Yeah. He liked the production values. Yes. He has all these ideas that we should be Facebook living elements of our show. Yeah, he wants... He really uh, wants to make this... A national TV show. And I hear that. I hear that. I hear that want, that ask, that demand. Well, I let's hear not it. limit ourselves. International, worldwide. All medias, all still imagery... Flip books, I think, are going to make you re- a big comeback. Are you reading my contract right now? Oh. <laughs> uh, I have a couple things I want to spin by you before we leave for the day. I know you said you had something you needed to expose to me before we end this program. 
I just wanted to make reference. This the day that this is going to come out will be Thursday, May twenty fifth, two thousand seventeen, and that's an important date in my life, Brian. Uh, it's the fortieth anniversary of a movie called Star Wars, and I feel so old. Don't feel old. Be lucky to feel alive and to experience all of these great things. But uh, I was a mere six years old when it came out. The movie changed my life, Brian. It is why I am in media. I dare say it's the reason why I'm doing this podcast. But not only that, I think it's the reason why I run. I don't see the connection. It's tenuous at best, but I believe if I didn't run, I would have a lot more time to spend on eBay (laughs) to buy the stuff that a middle-aged man should not be buying that's related to Star Wars. I will tell you the most fascinating part of your collectible business. Habit, obsession, addiction. Okay. There's all of that, and there's the, well, this isn't the legitimate Kenner 1978. Okay, that's fine. Lots of people are into lots of stuff, and Mm -hmm. they get very much into what's real, where it was made, what is the, uh, what do you call it for antiques? Not the derivation, but the... Provenance. Provenance of certain things. Fine. You know, it's not my interest, but I validate your existence in that realm. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I appreciate it. But I do think it's funny. <laughs> yes. And in an amazing way that the in some ways, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like the largest market for part of your collectibles is the little tiny plastic like toy guns and things like that. Like I see you purchasing little sandwich bags of guns and you're like, "Hey, this is worth more than like 20 action figures or something like that because they get lost, obviously. That's it. That's and the biggest somehow thing. with your jeweler's loop and uh, spec- spectrography and other uh, scientific techniques, you can determine whether something is from the 70s or 80s with an original little tiny blaster, this little tiny plastic gun, or if it's a modern knockoff. I of, find this fascinating. Of which, every day that passes, there are less and less of the original and more and more of the counterfeits. So, yeah, this is a crazy thing, and you're right. Um, they are the pieces of the collectibles that are the most sought after because, as you were saying, they're the easiest lost. Went up the vacuum tube, down the couch cushion, out in the trash, eaten by the dog. Anything that's very small, somewhat fragile, um, over time is the thing that absolutely goes missing. So yeah, there's a huge demand for people coming late in the game to the collecting end who can acquire sort of the mass-produced stuff relatively easy, but to complete it, to make it accurate and true, yeah, you need these like uh, very specific uh, weaponry and accessories from uh, 78 to 85. That's when Kenner produced them. And see, this is where it becomes where I sort of lose my connection with this because uh, at a certain point I gave my Star Wars figures that I had had and uh, you helped me fill in some of the gaps I do my that best. I had had as a kid and I put them in a box and hadn't seen them in uh, who knows how many years. Sure. And then I was so happy to share those with the girls and they played with them here and there and actually it was, it was, it was kind of cool that Star Wars got re-upped 
you know, the new movie started coming out recently. Yes. Um, so we've been able to share that together. But I gave them the toys, and yeah, they lost some lightsabers right away. And, oh, and yeah, oh. But oh. I don't know if those were original because I had bought some new ones, and maybe. But I don't care because they were toys my kids were playing with. Like if they had lost one of the figures, I would have been sad. But at the same time, I can go to a comic book store, sure. the, the last one remaining, yes, and probably pick up some version of that character, and that, that's good enough for me. Oh yeah, you can go into almost any Walgreens now or right. drugstore of any sort and just pick up sort of the modern incarnation of these things. Sure, that's true. And actually, because it is the 40th anniversary, Hasbro, who took over Kenner, is reissuing a bunch of figures on the old cards, but they're new figure sculpts, right? There's there's right. clearly no, uh, it's not mimicking the old stuff exactly. It's not replicating it. It's in the vein of, you know, in sure. the style of. So, yeah, you can grab all the like new stuff. It's like any collectibles, like toy trains or Barbie dolls or... Legos, that, I mean, because original Legos are very distinct. You can tell the quality of them. The 1960s, 70s, 80s Legos have a different feel than the newer Legos. Well, and you can move out of the toy realm. I mean, there's... Furniture. Furniture and dishes in China. And all these things. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. I know, it's crazy. So, anyway, I want to thank Star Wars... For helping you run. For helping me run and stay off the interwebs. And I think that's important. Well, that's great. When I start running again, hopefully it'll have the same positive effects for me. I hope so, too. Just before we go, one last thing. I received an email this morning at 4.30 a.m. Why were you up at 4.30 a.m.? I wasn't, oh. but I noticed it came in at 4.30. And it, was it wasn't from, from me. It was from a friend of the show, Wesley Finnamore, urging me, urging me, at 4.30. Well, he works in the restaurant business. Yeah, of course. Of course he's up at that. He's going to the fresh fish market. He's going down to the docks. They've never served fish in that restaurant ever. (laughs) Sandwiches only. Anyway, it was, so I saw it at 6.30 in the morning, but it was urging me to remember that today, Today. Thursday, May May 25th, at 7 p.m. Eastern time, is the opening up of the Vermont 50. Oh. And it's very challenging now to get that kind of solicitation directly from Wes and not take it seriously. And moments before you hit record, yes, he called me. Ooh. And I had to take that call. Because that's the middle of his work day, and he's uh, urging me to take it seriously. I thought you were going to tell me it's the last day to sign up, <laughs> but now it's the first, and it's now this can become an arc of the next few episodes. But in fact, I hope that you make your decision sooner rather than later because I actually don't want to see Wes showing up at your door at 4.30 in the morning demanding, hand, holding a, a writ of registration for and, this 50-mile race. And fresh halibut <laughs> that he's picked up for the restaurant. <laughs> they don't, they don't serve fish there. They don't serve fish there. So I will keep you posted. Perhaps next week even uh, I'll have an update for you. And then if that's true, yeah. and the thing he was saying to me was, you know, you're already ready, he said. You've trained for a marathon. You're ready. You're Just ready. stay trained. Uh, it's Un- hard. Unlike me, where I couldn't do a 50-foot race right now. Well, you have a whole other thing going on, and we'll have more about that soon. But let's, okay. let's you know. Uh, but I know you'll be there with me if I choose to do this. You'll be there as and my team. I can't wait uh, to hear the podcast about it. I know you can't. I know actually the day of the race, which is September 24th, you actually can't be there. So that's, that is a factor in my decision making, to be honest. I will help you train. I know you would. 
I will help you train. That's a great time of year to train. It's a great time. August, September. Yeah. June, July. Yeah, I was going to say, like, That means you have tonight, to start. Yeah. I have to oh sign my, up and that, start. Peter. What? Have you looked at the calendar? I have. You, uh, I know. The training calendar would start, like, now. Mm, like, next week. I know. I have a lot of I have a lot of thinking to do. Brian, let's leave this topic. I can't wait to listen to next week's episode. All I know is Jeff Cronenberg's going to have to come up with some amazing Vermont-based maple syrupy song. <laughs> right? Syrup. Syrup. Hey. This has been episode 80 of How Was Your Run Today with Peter Villa and Brian Gould. Music by Jeff Cronenberg. Anna Brooks is our social media guru. Andrea Bonnie Gould is our artist in residence. Special thanks to Greg Shea. Listen to us every week wherever you collect podcasts. Brian gives his to his daughters and they've lost some of the little pieces. But whenever you visit that special podcast place, please give us a rating and a comment. Every single one of those makes a difference in how this little here show is ranked. They weren't important pieces that they lost. No, but they, that's where the value is, just so you get that. Join us every Saturday on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram with your Sat Stat Chats. Tell us where you ran, how the weather was, and include the sweetest of sweet, sweet photos. And you can fulfill all of your HWRIT shopping needs, especially the coffee travel mug, at our Redbubble store. And if you love HWRT, please share our posts on social media. It's free, and it's easier than ordering the fish special at Matilda's Sandwich Shop. So we're saying he doesn't have any seafood on I've the menu? There's seen, no seafood. No, I don't think so. He's going to probably change that after he hears this. For everything else, please go to hwyrt.com. Hey, Brian. Hey, Peter. I know you won't be running this weekend. I think that's smart. I know you're going to get some more information to us next week. Looking forward to the update, my friend. Have a good run today. Thank you, sir. Greg, what did you have for breakfast today? So, yes, I had shredded wheat and a banana and mm-hmm. orange juice. Mm. You, do you do milk or you go cereal dry? No, I go milk, and, and I'm 2% men. Oh, I can't do whole milk. I can't do whole milk. Yeah, but most people do skim nowadays, I think. I can't uh, this do skim. It's too watery. Two is a recent switch to me, and it's, it's it, just it, right having there. skim milk for like 10 years and going to 2% yeah. is kind of like having like a milkshake. It's, um, it's amazing. I've gone skim my whole life, and then we've recently switched to either two or full. Uh-huh. Now, I don't drink milk, but I put, you know... A couple, or maybe it's an ounce on my cereal or whatever it is. But uh, here's how you don't make a skim milk. It's a special treat. Here's how you don't make two percent milk. Do you know this? You don't take whole milk and skim milk and put them together because that's what Starbucks thinks you do. (laughs) That's how they get to two percent. What? Have you not seen that? No. You know, they take a whole milk, they take a skim, mm-hmm. put it in the same container with a, with a (laughs) that's two percent printed out label that says two percent. But that's whole milk is about eight percent. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I don't know that they've actually have the uh, ability to say, "Hey, that's really two percent." We've done the math. You're fine. Yeah. Just buy two percent. Let the dairy council decide. I have no idea what you're talking about. You've never seen this when they replenish the station at Starbucks? No. Well, They're yeah. like a chemistry lab there. Yeah. 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 Our own cafeteria here at the station at least uses two percent. I've seen the yellow top, and yellow, by the way, is the two percent color. Do you know that? <laughs> yes, I've What's seen the it. whole percent color? Red? Yes. <laughs> yes. What's the skim milk Blue? color? I know why. Why do we why are we conditioned? I've to never know thought that? of this. You just quizzed me at this moment. But yeah, that's information you have innately yes. that came through evolution. That's not taught to you. That's just there. 
Hi, Brian. Can you talk to me about your homeschooling experience? <laughs> because your <laughs> concepts of science are fascinating. Well, 